0: Heights to the depths of the sea.
1: And supper being ended, verse 2, the devil, notice, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself.
0: Glame like- Welcome everyone to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. With snow. Satan looked for a man to betray Jesus and had probably cultivated Judas for a long time. Now the choice was made. Judas was his man. Knowing what Judas would do, Jesus knew he was about to face the agony of crucifixion and the terror of standing in the place of guilty sinners before the righteous wrath of God the Father. At the same time, Jesus went into this situation as a victor, not as a victim. He could have backed out at any time he wanted to because the Father had given all things into his hands. Now, here's Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 13. We've been slowly making our way through the Gospel. There's, again, so much in in the Gospels. We may get to uh, all 30 verses this morning, but if we get through the first 17, I'll be very pleased. If you remember last week, we looked at, uh, in John chapter 12, the most significant part of that chapter was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of many hundreds of years prior to that, the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. We looked at that in great detail. And as we get into John's uh, 13th chapter here, through chapter 17 actually, is a very A short period of time, actually. Uh, The Lord has seen fit to give us just this this time where Jesus had his last supper, his last Passover meal, if you will, on earth. And we know that during that time of that Passover meal, he also instituted uh, communion, where we take uh, communion. We're not taking communion this morning, but it was something that had never been done before because it was, wasn't was part of the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a lamb and, and bitter herbs and unleavened bread, but it had nothing to do with uh, the bread in the cup and, and, and its significance that Jesus portrayed it as we look into those hours that he was with his disciples in the upper room, just hours before he would be arrested unlawfully and crucified. And so... That's what we are looking at, and in fact, if you look at uh, chapter 13, uh, you remember that the Gospels are written in such a way where they could be fit into a puzzle, in a sense. If you, you were to take all Gospels, all four Gospels, and arrange them in chronological order, you would notice that in the Gospel of John, for instance, here. And I've been trying to share that with you as we've been going along to give you an idea of things that are happening between certain events. And that helps you frame chronologically what's happening. And I like to do that because sometimes those things that happen before and after certain events have a bearing on what we're on, on, the, on the event that's happening right at that moment. Because usually there's a cause and effect. There's a reason for these things, oftentimes. And so, between chapter 12 and chapter 13, there are approximately 27 different events in the life of Jesus that take place. Because remember, in chapter 12, we looked at the triumphal entry, which happened on, we call it Palm Sunday. It could have happened the Sunday prior. It may have even been Monday. There's some debate on whether it's Sunday or Monday. It really makes no difference. It happened, <laughs> right? Right? And so, fast forward, so during that time, after that, uh, the few days after that, two or three days, these 27 events occurred. And we're not going to go through them for the sake of time, but there are a number of things. But one of the last few things of, those, of that list of 27 events is Jesus begins to... Um, it begins to talk about this preparation for the Passover meal. And so when we look at Luke chapter 22, what I'd like to do is to give us a context of John chapter 13. Let's just back up and open, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. We're just going to look at the first 16 verses of this because this gives us an idea of of getting into this because um, there were some things that happened prior to this Passover meal, that are very important for us to understand. So open with me to Luke chapter 22. And again, we're just going to look at the first 16 verses of this. And it sets the stage for what's going to happen afterwards. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. And then notice verse 13, and underline this in your Bible, Then Satan entered Judas. Underline that. Surnamed Iscariot, because Iscariot was the name of the town that he was from. So Judas Iscariot Iscariot is not his last name. That's just the town that Judas was from, because Judas was a very popular name during that time because of the great heroic efforts of Judas Maccabeus in the 2nd century B.C., uh, throwing off the, the yoke of Rome for a season, and he was heralded as a, uh, uh, a hero. And so everybody named their kid Judas until after Judas Betrayed Jesus. Now nobody calls their kid Judas. (laughs) So Judas was a very popular name. So Satan entered Judas, who was numbered among the twelve. Verse 4 of chapter Luke 22 there. He says, so he went his way, Judas did, and he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. Everybody has their price, it seems, right? Hopefully none of us, but Judas certainly did. And he sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. They wanted to do this on the stealth side. So then came the day of unleavened bread, and then the Passover, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, speaking of Jerusalem, A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house which he enters, and then you shall say to the master excuse me, of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Underline that word, guest room. We're going to be talking about that. It's where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, and then he will show you a large furnished upper room, and there make ready. And so they went, and they found it just as Jesus said to them, and they prepared the Passover. So when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, I had you uh, underline a few things. Obviously, this Section that we just looked at was preparation of what was happening, the plot that was formed against Jesus and how Judas was going to betray him and how Jesus told Peter and John to prepare the Passover. Go to the place, prepare it for us tonight. And they did so. <clears throat> I had you underlearn, underlearn? I had you underlearn, yes. I had, had you underline I had you underline the uh, word guest room for a reason because that word in the Greek is kataluma kataluma and it's it's literally an upper room or a guest room and um the rooms like this during the passover and these other feasts were rented out in Jerusalem, at those feast times, because pilgrims were coming from all over the world into Jerusalem, they had no place to stay, and so what they would do is they would go to people who have these extra rooms and they would use them for the feast or for lodging or whatever, and there was a price to be paid for that, and a lot of times it could be a very lucrative time for landowners or homeowners in Jerusalem because they would be it would be sort of like having a timeshare on uh, you know the Atlantic Ocean and the Hamptons. You know, you have people stay there and uh, you make money. And so the similar thing was happening here. And so Jesus tells them to go get this guest room, to prepare it, this Cataluma is what it's called. And we know that Mary and Joseph, uh, they came to a similar place when, remember when they came to Bethlehem from Nazareth, they sought to lodge in an inn in one of those places, and there was no room for them in the inn. And it tells us that in Luke's gospel, and that inn that's spoken of is the Cataluma. It's a place where they could rest, a place where they could lodge. But there was no room for them at the inn, at the Cataluma. So now they had to stay out in the place where the animals were. And that's why Jesus was laid in a feeding trough, probably made of cement, And that's where they laid him. He was born and laid in a feeding trough where animals and slobbering beasts would eat, right? Not a great thing for the king of the universe. But notice the humble beginnings, the humble things. God is not, he's not so hung up on on gold and he made gold. (laughs) I mean, how can you impress? He's not impressed. He doesn't thrill by Fancy things. He doesn't need any of that. You and I require it sometimes. We would like those things. And fancy people like to have those things, but Jesus is like, no, I don't, I don't care. I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't, I'm not worried about that. Humble king, we sang it this morning. No one like him. What a great role model for each of us. For the world to model after. Too bad we all weren't more humble like Jesus. I think that's one of the greatest hallmarks of a Christian is humility. And we're going to see Jesus portraying that, being that example in which we ought to be as well, especially in the dark world that we live in now. You know, we have so many rights, and these things are wonderful, but we have to remember that we ought to be willing to forego anything for the sake of following Jesus and laying aside whatever we need to To serve him and to glorify him and to serve others. So Jesus and his disciples were in this Cataluma, this upper room, and they sat around what they call a triclinium. This is a picture of a triclinium. Uh, this is a, um, it was often only, uh, it was three tables, hence the name, tri, meaning three. Clinia means to recline. So there, notice there's no chairs sitting around this, and it's hard to tell, but this thing is only just a few inches high. It's not something where you would sit a chair around, because that wasn't the custom of the day. In fact, guests would recline on their left side. They would recline on their left side, supporting their weight on their left elbow or their arm and they would sit down or, 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 or rest on either a pillow or some kind of carpet that they would lay down next to that and they would eat with their right hand. That was just the way things were. They always ate with their right hand. You know why? Because when they would go to the restroom, they would use their left hand. Just being honest. all right. So it was always the right hand that they would eat with. So they would lay on their left side and they would recline around this table on their left side, and they would eat, reach in the table and pull and eat with their right hand. And when we understand this arrangement around this upper room table that they were on, it really brings things to light, especially as you begin to read the Gospels. In fact, the U shape of this triclinium was always facing toward the entrance or facing the door that you would come into the room. It was facing that. And the reason for that is because there were, um, there were people, the very first person on the left side would always be the one who would guard that gathering, the bodyguard, if you will. And the gospel accounts tell us, and as we read the, this account tonight or today, and as we get into it further, we will see that John is actually in that place from the gospel accounts, we can surmise that this is the location of at least four of the people. We don't know where the rest of the disciples were, but we know that that is where they're at. And it'll become clearer as we, as we read John's gospel. And the placement of these people is significant because John was the bodyguard. He would be right there at the beginning. If anybody came in, he would be the first to be able to... Um, defend anybody if somebody came in trying to harm them. The one right to the left, or, or right to the, um, yeah, I guess depending on how you're seated from John's perspective, right to the left would be the host, the one who was hosting the Passover. And who was that? It's Jesus. He's the one who hosted this Passover. And right to his left would be the guest of honor. Yes, Judas. Judas was the guest of honor at this Passover, Jesus knowing very well that Judas was a thief, he was a liar, and Jesus already knowing the scriptures that have been foretold, Psalm 41, Psalm 108, 109, um, those prophecies of Judas, that he would betray him. And yes, he is the Guest of honor, Judas Iscariot, the one who had betrayed Jesus. Don't you find that interesting? It gives new meaning to love your enemy, doesn't it? Because if that was my enemy, the last thing I would do is put him next to me. But even Judas, God gave Judas every opportunity to turn And he wasn't fulfilling some role. This was not some play that they were playing. Judas wasn't thinking about Psalm 41 or the other psalm, Psalm 108 or 109, I forget uh, off the top of my head. He wasn't thinking about that at all. He was just absorbed with himself. And that's the wonderful thing about prophecy in the Bible, is that God knows what's coming. We, oftentimes, don't understand what's coming, but God knows, and he can write it with accuracy. God knew that Judas would be the one to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that, of course. But Judas was acting of his own volition. He wasn't being forced to do anything. No, his heart was... Despite what the movies say, and the, the movies that you watch about Jesus' life, especially the the Passion Week, don't you know? Be careful about how the movies portray Judas. They make him look like some kind of victim. Oh, poor guy! You know, look at him. He's he's trying so hard, and then you know, the Lord, does, you know, this happens. And no, he was a rotten, filthy thief. And people try to make Judas sound to be like the, some kind of victim. No, he was no victim. He was a scoundrel. <laughs> He was a scoundrel. And so Judas is the guest of honor at this last Passover. And we know that Peter is on the other side where the servant would be. The very lowest position at the table would be on the right-hand side over there. And Peter hated that. Peter, having made all these proclamations, Lord, although all may run away from you, though may, you know, everybody may desert you, but not me. I'm your number one guy. I'm your second in command. I'm your vice president. I'm going to take up the charge, and something happens to you, man. I'm standing in the gap, and and that was Peter. And we don't know exactly why he's there. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe the Lord put him there to teach him something about humility, about servanthood. Because Jesus said, it's not the first. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be willing to be last. It, it totally flies in the face with our modern understanding, especially our American understanding. The guy who wants to be first is first. He's the guy riding in the fancy car with the leather seats. He's the, he's the guy with the Armani suit. He's the guy who looks all suave and beautiful and gorgeous. And Jesus says, nope. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be willing to be last. And that is a good thing for us to hear today, too. Humility. In a world of pride, in a world of bravado, this message flies directly in the face of it. And yet it's the very thing that Jesus portrayed so selflessly, this humility. And so Jesus and his disciples, they were seated around this triclinium rather than the traditional table that is shown to us in Leonardo da Vinci's painting called The Last Supper. Leonardo da Vinci was a great sculptor and a great painter, but he was no theologian, and he certainly didn't understand and was not privy to the customs of the Jews in ancient Israel. And there's some problems with this painting. This is what we, you know, many people, and this is a very large painting. It's on the wall of a, 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 a convent in Milan, Italy, and it's several feet high and several feet long, this painting. This painting. But there's some problems with it. Number one, the Passover was eaten in the evening, not in the daytime. Notice through the window? There's daylight. They all had their sandals on. If you look closely or you look at a picture, they've all got their sandals on. They would not be sitting at a dinner table at the Last Supper with their sandals on. And we'll see that because of what we're going to look at this morning. And the Passover meal did not consist of fish and Italian dinner rolls. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I love Italian rolls. Right, Pastor Dave? We love Italian dinner rolls. But those are leavened. You can see how plump and beautiful they are on the table. And there's fish on the table, too, if you look. But no, there's no, there's no fish. There's no Italian dinner rolls. The table shown here is not a triclinium, which was very obvious and very uh, customary for that time. They didn't sit on chairs that were high above. They didn't sit on chairs. And there's no linen tablecloth that long. It's a long tablecloth. It's not there. So let's get into John chapter 13, now that we have looked at those things. So that is the setting of what we're looking at. Verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Aren't you glad that he loves us to the end? I'm so glad for that, that wherever the end is, Jesus is there with us. He's not going to leave us orphans. He is going to be with us to the very end. And supper being ended, verse 2, the devil, notice, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, To betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. If we go back and look at verse 1, we know that this hour had come. Before, we, we looked at this. There was a time when his hour had not come, but clearly now it had come, this time when he would be glorified, that he would be crucified and then be glorified, resurrected on the third day and ascend to the Father. To what? To prepare a place for us, to intercede for us on our behalf. And notice this, that he loved them who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus was there right to the end with his disciples. Even after his death and resurrection and his ascension, he is still with us by the presence of his what? His Holy Spirit. Jesus is still with us by his Holy Spirit, indwelling us. Something new in the New Testament dispensation was the fact that God, he would indwell us by his Spirit. That's something that the church has that wasn't true before Jesus was born. The Spirit came on people and then left, but to have the Spirit indwelling us, that's something that the church has come to know and to understand and to have the privilege of, the down payment, if you will, the earnest of our expectation until he comes to redeem our physical bodies and change us and bring us up to him to meet him in the clouds.
0: That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John.